Welcome to Highland Church Audio Sermons. Today, June 2nd, 2019, we're continuing our series titled Genesis in the Beginning. Today's sermon, Created to Work, is going to be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager from Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. We hope you enjoy. This morning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Let me read it, and then we'll go ahead and pray. Genesis chapter 1. Verses 28 through 31, it says this, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said to them, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we recognize this morning it's your word that's been spoken. And this morning, we come before you trusting that your word is powerful, trusting that your word is true. So Holy Spirit, this morning, would you speak to us through this word? Would you open our minds that we could know you? Would you open our eyes so we see you, our ears to hear you, and our hearts to feel you and love you in return? God, help us do these things, not just know these things, learn these things, and hear these things, but respond this morning in loving obedience to your word. God, bless this time together for your glory and for our good. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Genesis chapter one, verses 28 through 31. This morning, we're looking how we've been created to work. Next week, we're actually gonna look how we've been created to rest. So this week, created to work, sorry. Next week, created to rest. Yay, both of those are good things, and they work together for God's glory and for our good. This morning, we're gonna see two big things. The first big thing is God's commands to his people. We see God's command to his people, and it begins in verse 28. It says this, and God blessed them. It's important to see what follows. The command to work is a blessing. It's not a curse. Before God gave Adam anything, he gave him a job. He gave him work to do. We're meant for work. We're created to work. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the first part of God's command to his people, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. That same blessing and that same command is this recurring command and blessing we see throughout Genesis, we see it next in chapter nine, verses one and verse seven, where God tells Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In chapter 17, 20, towards Ishmael, he says, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him. To Jacob, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Children are a blessing. They are a blessing. It says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 127, verses three through five, it talks about how the man with many arrows in his quiver, children, is a blessed man. Children are a blessing. And I know we sometimes say this tongue in cheek, right? Like when your kids are acting like little nightmares and you just, (laughs) children are a blessing. Right, if if you're a parent, you've probably said that at some point. And, And maybe parenting and raising children is difficult, but it's always a blessing. And it's always a blessing that God has for us. However, it's not for all of us, 
right? Not all of us are meant to have children. Not all of us are meant to be married. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 26 through 28, the apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, he says this, I think that in view of the present distress, so since life is kind of difficult and life can be difficult, amen, um, in this view, view of this present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Okay, life is pretty complicated, and if, if you're having a hard time, you probably shouldn't try to complicate it all the more. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Just remain the way that you are. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those, check this out, those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. <laughs> now, we laugh because marriage can be difficult. We laugh because marriage can be distracting. We laugh because raising children can be difficult. We laugh because raising children can be distracting. Distracting from what? Distracting from our relationship with the Lord. That's actually what he goes on to say in chapter seven, verses 32 through 35. Earlier in seven, verse seven, he talks about this gift, how we're each given a gift that God has for us. For some of us, that gift, that blessing, is marriage and children. For other people, that gift, that blessing, is not marriage and not children. Now for some of you who are married, you can't see it any other way, and for some of you who are single, you can't see it any, uh, any other way. Now there's this, this weird thing in the church and with Christians where we treat people who are unmarried or married and don't have kids as somehow these like lower status Christians and it's just not the truth. It's not the truth. God designs people, God specifically has people in different, uh, just different familial relationships. Some of us are married with kids and some of us, God has purposed us to not get married and not have kids and it's just the way that it is. And it's not right for us to treat people as somehow second class, third class, just because they're not married and don't have kids. I have uh, this one friend, he's one of my best friends, um, single guy, um, he's eternal. He was single up until the day he died when he was 33. Um, he picked these 12 guys to change the world. Three of them became his, his, his best friend. You might know him. He died on a cross for our sins. Uh, and then he came back from the dead to, to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from death so we could have a relationship with him forever. And I don't think any of us would be willing to say that Jesus was incomplete, that Jesus was unfulfilled because he wasn't married and because he didn't have kids. Yet we still treat people this way, don't we? We can't do it. For some people, God blesses us to be married and have kids, and for others, he blesses them to not get married and not have kids and devote their life to the cause of the ministry. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That second part, to fill the earth. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18 says this, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord there is no other. Now as a child, I used to think, had Adam and Eve not sinned, we would have just lived in the Garden of Eden forever and it would have been wonderful, right? Perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with mankind, not a problem, just hanging out in the garden forever. And what we see from these verses is that was never the plan to hang out in the garden forever. He says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Not just hang out in one spot, fill the earth. This is before the fall ever happened. 
Isaiah 45, 18 says, he did not create an empty, he formed it to be inhabited. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. It's to bring the garden with us. It's to bring the peace of God with us. It's to bring the relationship we have with the Lord with us all over the earth. And it's the first part of God's command he lays out in Genesis chapter 1, 28 through 31. The second part we see is the command to subdue God's creation, to subdue God's creation. Now the Hebrew word for subdue, subdue is kabosh. You've heard kabosh, like yeah, kabosh that, like crushed, right? Um, as a kid, we'd ask my mom, hey, can we play roller hockey in the house? And she'd say no, which I don't know why she'd say that. Um, but we'd go back outside and we, yeah, she, she crushed our dreams, she kiboshed them. She put the kibosh on our dreams. Um, kibosh doesn't mean crush, it actually means cultivate. To subdue something is to cultivate something. It's to help it yield service to the one who is Subduing it. So if you garden, how many of you garden? I try. I'm more of a plant murderer. It's just what happens when I do that. Um, but when you subdue something, you subdue it for the purpose of it producing something for you. And that's what we're called to do with God's creation. We're called to subdue God's creation. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Still, this is before the fall, this is before sin enters the world, and the first thing God gives Adam is a job. Here's your work. You're created to work. You're created to subdue the earth, help it produce amazing things. What's the implication of that? What's the implication of God's people subduing the earth? That means we explore God's creation and we establish it. It means we discover what's here and we develop it and use its resources for God's glory and for our good, and we do so responsibly. If you have an ESV study Bible, there's a little footnote um, that links to chapter one, verse 28, and it says this. It says, this verse provides the foundation for wise scientific and technological development. I love that, wise scientific and technological development. That means all the sciences, astronomy, geology, chemistry, biology, physics, and anything else I forgot. All of those things can be used for us to understand God's creation so we can use it for God's glory and for our good. We need to understand them in order for us to best know how to use them. Maybe you've, you've been to a concert and there's been a guitar player who's just total master at playing the guitar or a piano player. They have achieved mastery of playing the piano um, or a master craftsman, master woodworker. They, they understand completely their craft. The master musician understands the, the intonation of all of the things and those stuff most of us don't understand and, and the master woodworker understands the wood grain and how to dry things out properly and how to shave things and joint things and do all of these different things with the wood. They understand it so that they can subdue it and make it do something useful to them. That's what we're called to do with God's creation. Psalm chapter 104, verses 14 through 15 is all about this idea of cultivating. It says this, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. It's God who causes things to grow. We don't cause things to grow. We can plant and we can water. God causes growth. That he may bring forth food from the earth. What is, we cultivate so we can bring forth food. We cultivate, verse 15, and wine to gladden the heart of man. God didn't just have like wine bottles served up in the garden. He had grapes. The cultivation is up to us. 
We understand, we seek to know, and find ways we can use God's creation for the glory of God and for the goodness of people. Oil to make his face shine and and bread to strengthen man's heart. The oils, probably essential. We have lots of them in our house. Um, I'm not kidding. They're really, really wonderful things. We use them for everything. Um, Jude has been having stomach aches lately, so we have this tummy trouble stuff that works magic on his stomach. And now, God didn't produce tummy trouble. Um, in the Garden of Eden. Okay, but God created everything that we now have subdued, understood it, and used it for our good and for the glory of God. That's the way this thing is supposed to work. God has given us creation that we would subdue it and understand it and learn ways to use it responsibly. The third thing having to do with the second of subduing, it says rule over God's creatures. God says we'd have dominion. Dominion over everything. Dominion means to rule. And dominion doesn't mean to be a dictator. It doesn't mean you rule with an iron fist. It's you rule with benevolence and respect and integrity and kindness. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this. He is the image of the invisible God. We're talking about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now what did that just say? It said Jesus made everything, everything belongs to Jesus and everything exists ultimately for Jesus. Now if everything here is God's and Psalm 24 one says that, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, that makes me not an owner but a steward of what God has given us. And we're called to steward God's things the way God would treat them. In other words, treat things the way God treats his things. I have a tendency to not always be um, the nicest towards my own things, especially if they're old and like not shiny anymore. It's kind of like, yeah, whatever, I'll get a shinier one later, right? Um, But if someone else gives me something that's theirs to take care of, I'm so much more careful with it. It has more, I don't know what value it has to them. It doesn't belong to me, it belongs to them. So now I'm a steward of what they've given me. I'm just borrowing something that's theirs. I want to treat it with respect. I want to give it dignity. I want to care for it. It's the same principle with God's creation. This world doesn't belong to us. This is God's garden and he's placed us to be the gardeners of his garden. We should care for it, we should subdue it, we should rule over it and use the resources for God's glory and for the good of his people. The second big thing we see in our text this morning is God's care for his creation. God's care for his creation. In verse 29 through 30, we'll start with 29, it says this, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. The first thing we see about God's care is that he cares for his people. We see his care for his people. He's given us all the food we need to eat. Someone stopped me after first service and said, how come he says we could only eat plants? Does that mean I have to be a vegetarian? Um, Up until this point, yeah. At this point in the scriptures, it was all vegetarian. Or vegan, I guess it'll be vegan. I mean, that's just the way that it was. Genesis 9 comes along post-flood and God blesses Noah and says, hey, you could eat all the animals now, amen. (laughs) Okay, that's a blessing and it says we could do that in Genesis chapter nine. So 
if you want to be vegetarian, cool. If you want to be vegan, cool. Um, if you want to be a carnivore, Amen. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> but, but we can't use the scriptures to say we must eat any one specific way because God says anything's fair game. Eat what you'd like. It's interesting, and even in these, in these, passage, these texts, we see some uh, differences between uh, the way that, the, that these people, that God's people viewed and understood God compared to how some of their neighbors in the ancient Near East viewed God. There's some ancient Near Eastern texts um, I wanna mention real quick, two of them. One was this thing called the Atrahasis Flood. It's the account of the flood, the same thing we read in um, the, the global flood with Noah and everything. It's a similar story. Um, and then there's another story, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Maybe you've heard about the Epic of Gilgamesh before. And why I bring these up, because in both of these stories, they paint a picture of a very, very angry God who does not like his people. Doesn't care for his people. In one of them, uh, the Atrahasis Flood, God says, there's too many people down there. There's just too many. They, they might run us out of here, we gotta get rid of them. So floods the earth, kills all of them but one family. Now it sounds shockingly similar to our Noah account, right? Um, But with a very different motive behind that. The Epic of Gilgamesh, um, in this story, the food doesn't exist for man, the food exists for man to collect and then give to the gods. And the picture we see here is very different. We see God saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. You're, you're, you're blessed, be fruitful. Mul- experience the blessing of, of filling the earth. And then he says, all the food is for you. We, we see God's care. We see God's care all over the scriptures. First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. We should know that about a God, the God that we serve. He has a mighty hand. He created everything. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. The mighty God who created everything. He cares for you. He cares for me. This is all over the place in the scriptures. It's on the beginning pages. It's all throughout. You can think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's his care. God cares for his people. And we see his care all over the scriptures. The second care we see, we see his care for his creatures. His care for his creatures, all of the animals, all the plants, all the everything. In verse 30, it says, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God provides every creature with exactly what they need to accomplish the purpose he's given them during their time here because he cares for them. Verse 31 It closes like this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Multiple times in this creation account, God has said something, it was so, and then he saw it was good. You remember these parts of the story? God made something and he saw that it was good. God made something, he saw that it was good. For the first time now, we see God see it and he says it was very good. Everything is working together exactly the way that God has designed it to work together. And maybe you've had some of these moments before, these moments where you step back and see something and it's just so good. Um, I experienced this with my wife and my kids on Christmas morning. 
Right, we have just a wonderful weekend with church and just worship and we see people give their lives to the Lord and then, and then the morning comes and we do the gift exchange and there's wrapping paper everywhere and there's toys flying all over the place and most of our new ornaments are broken already but it's fine, it's whatever and, and we're sitting back having our morning coffee because it's like 4 a.m. because that's what kids do, right? And, but we step back and it's just like, this is so good. This is very good. Or in, in, in any of the really great sports movies, there's, there's always the mismatch game where this one team who's the underdog comes from behind and wins it at the end and the players rush the ice or rush the court or rush the field, whatever it is, and as they rush the field, there's always this shot of the coach who's standing back, normally with his hands in his pocket and just taking it all in, right? It's that we did it moment. It's, this, it's very good. Last night, my wife and I had dinner with our friends Matt and Nicole. Uh, Matt smoked a brisket for us. Now, if you barbecue at all, you understand what labor of love is when it comes to barbecue, right? Uh, he, he, he did his brisket, he put it in the cooler to let it rest and pulled it out. And the moment of truth came when he gets his big knife out and this is when you figure out if you did a good job or not. He cuts it into it and then it's just juice. And he stepped back. <laughs> right? And it was very good. We've experienced moments like this, haven't we? This is God's moment with his creation. He takes a step back and sees this world that he's created. He sees all these plants, the vegetation he's created and put there. He looks up and he sees um, just the surrounding of the earth and our atmosphere and beyond that, he sees the stars and the planets, the moon, everything he's placed in the sky. He focuses back down and sees the animals all accomplishing the exact purpose that he created them for. And then he steps back and he sees Adam and Eve and everything's wonderful and he says it's very good. Everything is doing what it's supposed to do. It's all working according to plan and it's very good. I want to close our time together this morning by asking two questions. Um, if you've ever read the book or the devotional Purpose Driven Life from Pastor Rick Warren, there's two big questions he asks in that book. And in his mind, he thinks that when we stand before the Lord, God's going to ask us two questions. The first question is something like this. What have you done with what I gave you? What have you done with what I gave you? See, to Adam and Eve, he gave them a specific command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and rule. That's what he gave them. That was the task, that was the job. To each of us, he's given something. He's given us some kind of work. In Matthew chapter 25, there's a storable, a story, a parable, a storable, if you want to call it a storable. Uh, it's the, the parable of the talents. Uh, and in this story, the storable, um, the master gives the servants uh, e each a different amount of money. We'll, we'll call it 10 bucks, five bucks, and one buck. Um, not bucks, like dollars. So he gives them $10, $5, and $1. And in the first one, he gives them $10. He comes back and says, what'd you do with what I gave you? And he says, well, I went, I worked, I put it to good use. You gave me 10, I brought you 10 more. Here's 20. And the master tells the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. To the second he goes, says, I gave you five. What do you got? Well, I took the five, I turned it into 10, here's 10. Well done, good and faithful servant. He goes to the one that he gave one to, says, I gave you one, what did you do with it? He says, well, you know, I knew you to be a hard man, so I dug a hole and I put it in the ground, here's what's rightfully yours. And the master to the servant, he says, you sluggard. You could have at least given it to the bank 
and they could have earned something and you could have done something with what I gave you. See, his concern isn't that the guy lost the money or didn't make any money. His concern is that he just did nothing. So the question, what are you doing with what God's given you? For some of you, he's given you a family. What are you doing with that family? For some of you, um, he's given a business. What are you doing with your business? For some of you, he's given a job. For some of you, it's raising your children. It goes on and on. For some of you, it's sports. For some of you, it's being a student. What are you doing with what God's given you? Because what he asks us to do is do it all for him, for his glory, and for the good of those around us. Colossians chapter three, verses 17 and 23, it's up on the screen for you. Um, It says this. It says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily. For who? It's for the Lord and not for men. See, I wholeheartedly believe that though my paycheck may say Highlands Church, I do my work for the Lord. Okay, and that doesn't just apply to me because I'm a pastor. Your paycheck may say something in the medical field. Your paycheck may say something with the school district. Your paycheck uh, may something about the business, say something about the business that you're on. You, you may not even receive a paycheck. Maybe you're, you're a full-time stay-at-home mom, which is terrific and terrifyingly difficult work. Okay, who do you do that for? The scriptures tell us we do that for the Lord, for his glory, and not for our own. What are you doing with what God has given you? How are you stewarding? How are you subduing? How are you ruling over what God has entrusted with you? The second question he thinks God's gonna ask us is what have you done with my son Jesus? What have you done with what I've given you? And secondly, what have you done with my son Jesus? Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10, we have it up on the screen for you again. It says this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Some translations say masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, before we go out and do good works for our Lord, we first must accept the good work that Christ has done for us. See, we're created to work, and if we're going to work the way God has intended us to work, we must first accept and embrace and acknowledge what Christ has done for us. See, if we go back to the story in Genesis chapter one, that story, the creation account, ends with God stepping back and saying, and it was very good. Shortly shortly after, however, uh, things took a turn for the worst. See, Adam and Eve started breaking God's rules. Sin entered the world. Their relationship with one another became skewed and broken, and their relationship with God became broken. Yet God in his goodness, because he still cares for us, even though we are in sin, did something amazing for us. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, so that we would acknowledge him and say, Jesus, I trust your good work to get me right with God, because we can be right with God again. But it's not through anything we do. It's not through anything we say. It's only through what Christ has done for us. If you want to do good works for the Lord, if you want to do good works in the world, then you must first accept the good work that Christ 
has done for us. What are you doing with what God has given you and what are you doing with his son? Let's pray. God, I know there's people here this morning who are in all sorts of different places. God, there are those who are believers, maybe they've been believers for some time and, and they've been doing their work for them. God, I ask this morning you would motivate them and encourage them, that you'd convict them to change that. God, that you would help them do good works for your glory and for the good of the people around them. God, for those here who do not yet have a relationship with you, God, I ask this morning you'd speak to them. I ask you'd put it on their heart to respond. That they'd cry out to you through prayer and just tell you, God, I do believe. Would you help me overcome my unbelief? God, I wanna do good things for you, but first, I wanna accept the good thing you did for me with your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for giving us this beautiful place to call home for now. God, for creating us to work, for giving us the blessing of subduing and having dominion over this place that you've loaned to us for now. God, would we be good stewards of all of the resources you've blessed us with, whether it's our time, our talents, and even our treasure. God, would we use all of it for you and for you alone. God, would you receive all of our worship now as we respond in song? And God, we ask that everything that's been done this morning has brought you glory, that has put a smile on your face. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. amen. God did a good work for us amen. through his son, Christ Jesus. Would we go this week and do good works for his glory and his glory alone? Bless you, folks. Love one another. Bye-bye.